Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories. And we tell stories about everything here on this show, from the arts to sports, and from business to history, and everything in between, including your stories. Send them to ouramericanstories.com. They're some of our favorites. Stephen Ambrose was one of America's leading biographers and historians. His bestsellers chronicle our nation's critical battles and achievements, from his war works D-Day and Band of Brothers to undaunted courage, Meriwether Lewis, Thomas Jefferson, and the opening of the American West. Stephen Ambrose passed in 2002, but his epic storytelling accounts can now be heard here at Our American Stories thanks to those who run his estate. Here's Stephen Ambrose to tell us the story from his bestseller, Nothing Like It in the World, The Men Who Built the Transcontinental Railroad. My editor, Alice May, who said when I completed my last book, he said, you got to do the Pacific Railway. How did they build it? And I said, oh, Alice, I don't want to do that. Uh, I, These guys were robber barons. They went out and stole the country blind. And then they used all their ill-gotten gains to get a grip on American politics, which they held on to until first the populists and the progressive parties were formed. And I don't want to deal with these robber barons. And she said, you do... So I, I read for six months, and I learned that I had been badly wrong. That far from being villains, these guys are heroes. And I'm talking about the big four. I'm talking about Dr. Ant. I'm talking about all the others that were at the top and all of the men who built the track. So that was how I got started. 
This book opens with Abraham Lincoln. And somebody asked me about that a couple of days ago. I said, how could you possibly open with Abraham Lincoln? I said, listen, I'm a writer. You got an opportunity to open your story with Abraham Lincoln. But in this story, uh, Lincoln was a railroad lawyer before he went into full-time politics. He was involved in the biggest case of all with the Rock Island when they had built a bridge over the Mississippi River and a steamboat crashed into one of the pilings and it burned up and the steamboat company sued the railroad. You can't put those bridges over this river. Our steamboats are gonna run into them. Lincoln defended the Rock Island. And, and one thing you do is say it was the pilot's fault. I mean, he crashed into the piling, but second, he said, the railroads have as much right to go east and west as your steamships have to go north and south. And that principle was accepted by the Illinois Supreme Court, and that's what made railroading in America. Lincoln uh, got written into the 1860 Republican platform, support for the building of a transcontinental railroad. And that was done. He was the promoter of the 1862 bill, and then he promoted the 1864 revision, which gave even more subsidies uh, to the railroad because he wanted to see that railroad built and he wanted it seen fast. Lincoln was in Council Bluffs, Iowa. It was 1859. And the man he was staying with, his name was Pusey, pointed to a man on the, down the way on the veranda of the hotel, and he said, that's Grenville Dodge. He was 28 years old, Dodge was. And Pusey said to Lincoln, he knows more about railroads than any two men in the country. And that snapped Lincoln's head around. Let's go meet, he said. And you know, those great big long legs of his, he began striding down and he stuck out that long arm and he said, Dodge, what's the best route for the Pacific Railroad? And like that, Dodge said, right here, Mr. President, straight out from Omaha, right up the Platte River Valley. Why do you think so, Lincoln asked. And Dodge told him why he thought so. And from that moment on, Lincoln was fully committed to what became the first transcontinental railroad. Next to winning the Civil War and abolishing slavery, building the first transcontinental railroad from Omaha, Nebraska to Sacramento, California was the greatest achievement of the American people in the 19th century. Not until the completion of the Panama Canal in the early 20th century was it rivaled as an engineering feat. The railroad took brains, muscle, and sweat in quantities and scope never before put into a single project. It could not have been done without a representative democratic political system, without skilled and ambitious engineers, without bosses and foremen who had learned how to organize and lead men in the Civil War, without free labor without hardworking laborers who had learned how to take orders in the war, without those who came over to America in the thousands from China seeking a fortune, without laborers speaking many languages and coming to America from every inhabited continent, without the trees and iron available in America, without capitalists willing to take high risk for great profit, without men willing to challenge all at every level in order to win all. Most of all, it could not have been done without teamwork. The United States was less than 100 years old when the Civil War was won, slavery abolished, and the first transcontinental railroad built. Not until nearly 20 years later did the Canadian Pacific span the Dominion. 
It was a quarter of a century after the completion of the railroad, the American road, that the Russians got started in the Trans-Siberian Railway. And the Russians used more than 200,000 Chinese to do it as compared to the American employment of 10,000 or so Chinese. In addition, the Russians had hundreds of thousands of convicts working on the line as slave laborers. Even at that, it was not until 32 years after the American achievement that the Russians finished. And they did it as a government enterprise at a much higher cost with a road that was in every way inferior. The Americans did it first. And they did it even though the United States was the youngest of countries. It had proclaimed its independence in 1776, won its independence in 1783, bought the Louisiana Purchase, through which much of the Union Pacific ran, in 1803, added California and Nevada and Utah to the Union in 1848, through which the Central Pacific ran, and completed the linking of the continent in 1869, thus ensuring an empire of liberty, running from sea to shining sea. And more of Stephen Ambrose's remarkable storytelling on the building of the Transcontinental Railroad here on Our American Stories. Folks, if you love the stories we tell about this great country, and especially the stories of America's rich past, know that all of our stories about American history, from war to innovation, culture, and faith, are brought to us by the great folks at Hillsdale College, a place where students study all the things that are beautiful in life and all the things that are good in life. And if you can't get to Hillsdale, Hillsdale will come to you with their free and terrific online courses. Go to hillsdale.edu to learn more. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we continue here with Our American Stories and Stephen Ambrose telling the story of the men who built the Transcontinental Railroad and his terrific book, Nothing Like It in the World. Go to Amazon.com. And by the way, while you're there, pick up all of Stephen Ambrose's books. Read them with the family. There is no better storytelling about our great country than Stephen Ambrose. Let's continue with the story. One of the most feared stretches ran three miles along the precipitous gorge to the North Fork of the American River, nicknamed Cape Horn. The slope was at an angle of 75 degrees, and the river was 1,200 to 2,200 feet below the line of the railroad. There were no trails, not even a goat path. The grade would not be bored through a tunnel, but rather built on the side of the mountain which required blasting and rock cuts on the sheer cliffs. The mountain needed to be sculpted because the railroad would be curved around the mountain. The curves that hugged the monolith were either upgrade or occasionally down. Men had to be lowered in a bosun's chair from above to place the black powder. First of all, to drill a hole for it, then to place the black powder, fix and light the fuses, and then yell to the man above to haul us up With regard to Cape Horn, Van Nostrand's Engineering Magazine, the premier magazine for engineers of the day, said in 1870, good engineers consider this undertaking preposterous. One day in the summer of 1865, a Chinese foreman went up to Strobridge, who was the foreman for the Central Pacific. The Chinese nodded and then waited for permission to speak. When it was granted, he said that men of China are skilled at work like this. Our ancestors built fortresses in the Angsty Gorges. Would you permit Chinese crews to work on Cape Horn? If so, could reeds be sent up from San Francisco so we can weave them into baskets? Strowbridge would try anything. The reeds came on. At night, the Chinese wove baskets similar to the ones their ancestors had used. The baskets were round, waist-high, four eyelets at the top, painted with symbols. Ropes ran from the eyelets to a central cable. The Chinese went to work. They needed little or no instruction in handling black powder, which was a Chinese invention. And they went to work with a hauling crew at the top. Hundreds of barrels of black powder were ignited daily to form a ledge on which a roadbed could be laid. 
Some of the men were lost in accidents. We don't know how many. The CP didn't keep a record. The Chinese working men, hanging in their baskets, had to bore the holes with their small hand drills, then tamp in the explosives, set and light the fuse, and holler to be pulled out of the way. They used a huge amount of power that was shipped to them from Sacramento. The Chinese made the roadbed and laid the track around Cape Horn. Though this took until the spring of 1866, a year, it was not as time-consuming or difficult as had been feared. Still, it remains one of the best known of all the laborers on the Central Pacific. Mainly because, unlike the work in the tunnel, it makes for a spectacular diorama. As well it should. Hanging from those baskets, drilling holes in the cliff, putting in the powder, placing the fuse, and getting hauled up was a spectacular piece of work. The white laborers couldn't do it. The Chinese could. If not as a matter of course, then quickly. And, at least they made it look this way, easily. <coughs> Young Lewis Clement did the surveying and then took charge of overseeing the railroad engineering at Cape Horn. What Clement planned and the Chinese made became one of the grandest sights to be seen along the entire Central Pacific Line. Trains would halt there so tourists could get out from their cars to gasp and gape at the gorge and at the grade. In the fall of 1865, the CP went to work on its tunnels. Now, you, you need to know that California has on its eastern side the Sierra Nevada. That is granite, and it goes up very high, and you get more snow on the Sierra Nevada than you do any place else in the United States, save only Alaska. And the tunnels had to be drilled through this granite. And in the fall of 1865, the CP went to work on these tunnels. Six of the 13 that would have to blast out before getting to the east slope were clustered in a small stretch of two miles at the top of the long climb. The biggest, number six, right at the summit, within a few hundred feet of Donner Pass, with Donner Lake right down below it, was 1,659 feet long and as much as 124 feet beneath the surface. Of all the back-breaking labor that went into the building of the CP and the UP, of all the dangers inherent in the work, this was the worst. The drills lost their edges to the granite and had to be replaced frequently. One Chinese worker would hold that drill up and then there were two men behind him with sledgehammers, and the other guy, and the other guy, and that went on for eight hours. <clears throat> there was room for only one gang at a time, three men to a gang. The drills lost their edge to the granite and had to be replaced frequently. The CP soon learned to order his drills in 100-ton lots. The man holding the drill had to be steady or he would get hit by the sledgehammer. The man swinging the hammer had to have muscles like steel. When a hole was at last big enough for the black powder to be packed in, the crew would fill it, set a fuse, yell as loud as they could while running out of the range of the blast, and they would hope. Sometimes the fuse worked. Sometimes it didn't. Often the workers had put in too much powder, and most of it blew toward them harmlessly as far as the granite was concerned. 
but a great danger to the Chinese. Clement's assistant, Henry Root, explained that more powder was used by the rock foreman than was economical for the simple reason that the workers were told that time, not money, was of the essence. At Summit Tunnel alone, 300 kegs of blasting powder a day went up. That's more than went up in a day in the Civil War. Progress was incredibly slow, with men working round the clock. This is 24 hours a day, eight hours, eight hours, and eight hours. Between six and 12 inches was a normal 24-hour day of how much they gained. Charlie Crocker, in charge, gave orders to establish permanent work camps on each side of the summit to facilitate the round-the-clock drilling, blasting, scraping, shoveling, and hauling by the Chinese. Charlie figured there was no night or day within a tunnel. The men worked in groups of 20 or so because only a handful could work at any one time. They ate healthy, well-cooked, and tasty food. Unlike the white workers <coughs> on the Union Pacific, the Central Pacific provided, as did the Union Pacific, the Americans with boiled beef and potatoes, and that's all they wanted, and some salt. Uh, the Chinese demanded and got an astonishing variety. Oysters, cuttlefish, finfish, abalone meat, oriental fruits, and scores of vegetables, including bamboo sprouts, seaweed, and mushrooms. Each of these foods came dried, purchased from one of the Chinese merchants in San Francisco. Further, the Chinese ate rice, salted cabbage, vermiculi, bacon, and sweet crackers. Very occasionally, they had fresh meat, pork being a prime favorite, along with chicken. That food helped keep the Chinese healthy. The water they drank was even more important. The Americans drank from the streams and lakes, and many of them got diarrhea, dysentery, and other illnesses. The Chinese drank only tepid tea. The water had been boiled first and was brought to them by youngsters who carried two pails on a sturdy pole across their shoulders, and they would dip in and drink their tea. What remarkable storytelling, painting word pictures like no one else can. When we come back, more of this remarkable story. Stephen Ambrose, nothing like it in the world, the men who built the Transcontinental Railroad. This is Our American Stories. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER.
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we continue with Our American Stories, and let's return to Stephen Ambrose telling the story of the building of the Transcontinental Railroad. According to contemporaries, the white worker had a hydrophobia, which induced him to avoid any contact with water. In contrast, the Chinese are accustomed to daily evolutions of their entire person. The Chinese were ideal workers, cheap, $3 a day. They did as they were told, made a quick study, and after something was shown or explained to them, did it skillfully. Few, if any, strikes. The same for complaints. They did what no one else was willing or able to do. When Charlie Crocker first proposed to Strawberry, let's use Chinese, because they were getting white workers who would sign up and then get a ride up to the top of the Sierra Nevada and then desert, because they, they just wanted a free ride out to the gold fields. The Chinese didn't, and, and didn't do it that way, and Crocker said to Strawberry, let's try Chinese, and Strawberry said, you're crazy. They're only that high, and they only weigh 110 pounds. They can't possibly do this work. And Crocker said, they built the Great Wall of China, didn't they? <laughs> and Strawberry soon became one of their great advocates. <clears throat> now to the men who made the Union Pacific, who were primarily Irishmen, uh, although the myth has it it was exclusively, and it wasn't. There were German descendants, and there were Scandinavians, and there were Italians, and there were Russian descendants, and there were a, a quite a lot, 500 by my own count, African Americans, newly freed slaves. The whole world worked on the Union Pacific. But the Irishmen made up maybe 50%. Another factor here is they were almost all of them veterans. They were 18 or 19 or 20 or 21 years old. They had been in the Civil War, whether in the Confederate Army or the Union Army. You look at pictures of them, very famous pictures, and you're going to see a lot of gray coats, 
and a lot of blue coats. And these were kids who, the war was over, and they ain't gonna go back to Indiana and plow. I'm, I'm not gonna go back to Ohio and get behind a horse and hold that plow all day long, falling behind that. I want something more exciting in my life. I want something that is significant. I want to be a part of something big. In addition, they had caught that most American of all diseases, the wanderlust. They wanted to see new country, and they signed on with the Union Pacific to go to work, to build something that they knew, and they did. They could bring their grandchildren to and say, I helped build that. And, and, and General Dodge, who he wasn't general anymore, he, he had been in the Civil War, but he was uh, superintendent and head of construction and the chief engineer for the Union Pacific. He said, it was the best organized, best equipped, and best disciplined workforce I have ever seen. And Dodge built a lot of railroads. And they were being attacked by Indians. And pretty much constantly when they were in Nebraska and more occasionally, but still fairly often when they were in Wyoming. And the Indians had a number of objections to the building of this road. First of all, it was going through their land. Nobody had asked them and nobody had ever paid them. And, and second, they knew it was bringing civilization. And that meant, first of all, army post. And that meant that they could no longer outrun the army that a regiment could get on a train and go all the way out to Cheyenne or go on to Rollins or wherever in Wyoming and disembark from the train and boom, they could hit the Indians just like that. And the Indians were aware of that. They were also aware that these settlements were going to come. And that spelled a doom for the Indian way of life. And most of all, the Indians were aware Buffalo would not cross the track. So the laying of the track across the Great Plains meant you're splitting the buffalo herd in half. So they attacked often, and sometimes with some effect, and sometimes with great effect, because they would uh, pry up the track in the middle of the night, and the locomotive would come through, and the engineer wouldn't see this in the dark, and whoomph, over it went. And then the Indians would attack, and they would take everything they could out of the cars, and especially if they could find some whiskey, and that became very notorious at Julesburg in Colorado. Now, one of the ways that the railroad got control over that was they learned to hang lanterns on the front of the locomotives, and that provided a spotlight. So you could at least see ahead and see if the track had been torn up or not. But Dodge had all of these young men, 10,000 of them, that were working for the Union Pacific, they were all armed. And their foremen had all been officers in the Civil War. And they would see a hostile Indian force up on the ridge, getting ready to come down on them, and boom, like that. Those guys would switch from being railway workers to being soldiers. And they would grab their rifles, and they would line up, and they would repel these Indian attacks. How hard they worked is an astonishment to us at the beginning of the 21st century. Except for some of the cooks and bakers, there was not a fat man among them. Their hands were tough enough for any job. One never sees gloves in the photographs. The jobs included pickaxe handling, shoveling, wielding sledgehammers, picking up iron rails, and using other equipment that required hands like iron. Their waists were generally thin, but oh, those shoulders. 
those arms, those legs. Nebraska can be hotter than hell, colder than the South Pole. They kept on working. They didn't whine. They didn't complain. They didn't quit. They just kept working. They had taken on a job that is accurately described as backbreaking. It was, in addition, a job that experts said could not be done in the 10 years it had been allotted, if ever. A day's routine was something like this. In the morning, the men were up at first light. After their toilet and washing their faces and hands in a tin basin, they had a hearty breakfast and then went to work. At noon time was called, and they had an hour for a heavy dinner that included pitchers of steaming coffee, pans of beef soup, platters heaped with boiled beef, potatoes, sometimes condensed milk diluted with water. The men were there to eat. There was little conversation. They made a business of it. Afterward, they sat around their bunks, smoking, sewing on buttons, or taking a little nap, then back to work, with the bosses cursing and exhorting them to overcome their noontime lassitude. Time was called again an hour before dark to allow some rest. The evening meal was more leisurely. Then to the bunkhouses for card games, a smoke, lots of talk, railroad talk. It was said to consist entirely of whiskey, women, higher wages, shorter hours. <laughs> Sometimes the men protested about being cheated. When they did, they were shot. One a day or more. There was no law. And then a song such as, Poor Patty, He Works on the Railroad, or The Great Pacific Railway for California Hail. Then to bed, the whole to be repeated the next day, and the next, and the next. And what storytelling by the great Stephen Ambrose, and we thank his estate for allowing us to use his voice and to keep his work alive at a time when fewer and fewer people know the story of this great country. Hearing Stephen Ambrose tell these stories, well, it's more than a breath of fresh air. It's life itself, it's sustenance. And by the way, this story of the Union Pacific, of the Irish, 50% of the Irish dominated this and these crews, and almost all were vets, as he pointed out. They didn't want to go back to the farm, Ambrose pointed out, after the war, and some fought for the North and some fought for the South. They wanted to be a part of something big. They wanted to see a new country built. And they also wanted to be able to bring their grandchildren to the finished product and say, I helped build that. When we come back, more of this remarkable story, the building of the transcontinental railroads, and Stephen Ambrose, here on Our American Stories. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we continue here on Our American Stories. Let's pick up where Stephen Ambrose last left off. During the spring of 1866, Jack Caseman, in charge of one of the construction crews, offered each man a pound of fresh tobacco for every day that they laid more than two miles of track. This was done. Dan Caseman went out in the early summer to offer time and a half pay to ensure that the UP reached the 100th meridian before any other line. He also offered double wages for any four-mile workdays. Henry Morton Stanley, who was one of the many reporters who was out there covering this. And Henry Morton Stanley is a reporter who found Dr. Liv Dr. Livingston, I presume. Um, and he was reporting for two American papers. He was impressed by the results. The workers, he said, display an astonishing amount of enthusiasm for their jobs. <clears throat> the workers on the CP from the bosses down, believed there was more rain and snow in the winter of 1865-66 than had ever before been seen in California. The winter of 1866-67 was much worse. The snow came early and stayed late. There were 44 separate storms. Some of them deposited 10 feet of snow, some deposited more. At the summit, the pack averaged 18 feet on the level. More, fall, more snow falls on the Sierra Nevada than any place else in the 48 states. Only Alaska gets more snow than the Sierra Nevada. <clears throat> Strawbridge put hundreds of the Chinese to work doing nothing but shoveling the snow away to keep open a cart trail to the tunnel opening. 
If it had not been for the race with the UP, the CP would have closed down that winter. But the fear of losing all Utah and Nevada to their rival drove them on. The Chinese laborers dug snow tunnels from 50 to 500 feet long to get to the granite tunnels. And they lived in these igloos is what they were. And these Chinese for sometimes as long as six months never once saw the sky. Some of these uh, tunnels were large enough for a team of horses to walk through. Windows were dug out of the snow walls to dump refuse and let in a little bit of light. Also chimneys and air shafts. But for the most part, the Chinese worked, ate, drank their tea, gambled, smoked opium, which they did on Sundays. They got Sundays off and they smoked opium. <coughs> they didn't get themselves intoxicated with it or act silly or anything like that. They just wanted to relax on that day off. So they smoked their opium and slept in the remarkable labyrinth that they were building under the snow. This was cruel work, dangerous and claustrophobic. Still, they pressed on, drilling the holes in the granite, placing the black powder and then the fuse, lighting the fuse, getting out of the way, then going back in to clear out the broken granite. Of all the things done by the first transcontinental railroad, nothing exceeded the cuts in time and cost it made for people traveling across the continent. Before the Mexican War, during the gold rush that started in 1848 through the 1850s and, and until after the Civil War ended in 1865, it took a person half a year and might cost well over $1,000 to go from New York to San Francisco. They either went overland in the covered wagons with the oxen drawing them or they sailed down to Panama, got across Panama, very great peril, the fear of getting tropical diseases, and then hoped to hell they could find a steamer going north to take them up to California, or they went all the way around South America and came back up again. And then that, that's months and big money, but less than a week after the pounding of the Golden Spike, a man or woman could go from New York to San Francisco in seven days. That included stops. So fast they used to say, you don't even have time to take a bath. <laughs> and the cost to go from New York to San Francisco as listed in the summer of 1869 was $150 for first class, $70 for immigrant. By June 1870, that was down to $100 for first class, 65 for immigrant class. This was at a time when a common laborer was making about $100 a month. And first class meant a Pullman sleeping car. The immigrants sat on a bench. Freight rates by train were incredibly less than for ox or horse-drawn wagons or for sailboats or steamers. Mail that once cost dollars per ounce and took forever, now cost pennies. And got from Chicago to California in a few days. The telegraph, meanwhile, which was built beside the track, as was stipulated in the 1862 Pacific Railway Act, and which, pause for a minute and talk about the telegraph, we like to think we live in the age of the greatest change ever. My parents thought we lived through the biggest change. We lived through the Depression, and then we went through the Second World War, and we defeated Hitler, and we defeated Tojo, and we were there when the atomic bomb came about, and we went through the biggest change. And my grandparents, they felt we went through the biggest change. We were there when Henry Ford brought out the automobile. 
We were there when the Wright brothers flew for the first time. And obviously, our generation. You know who went through the biggest change? The generation that lived between 1850 and 1870. They won the Civil War, they abolished slavery, and they built the Transcontinental Railroad. And in the building of that railroad, they brought in the telegraph. We think we are in instant communication today. The telegraph puts you in instant communication. You could get a message from Chicago to San Francisco or from Los Angeles to New York or wherever like that. That's what made the National Stock Exchange possible and so much else in American business that came about because of that telegraph. So the telegraph, meanwhile, could move ideas, thoughts, statistics, any words or numbers that could be put on paper from one place to another from Europe or England or New York to San Francisco or anywhere else that had a telegraph station instantly. The Pullman Company published a weekly newspaper called the Transcontinental for its passengers. On May 30, 1870, that's almost exactly one year after the Golden Spike, the paper had this item. It was a cheering incident in our smoking car last evening when one of our party who had telegraphed to Boston to learn if his wife was well received, after we had run 47 miles further west, this answer, all well at home, which fact was announced and loud applause followed from all in the car. Just imagine that. It's almost like a telephone. But nobody ever did that before. And now you could find out how your wife was when you're way the hell out past Salt Lake. Together, the Transcontinental Railroad and the Telegraph made modern America possible. Things that could not be imagined before the Civil War now became common. A nationwide stock market, a continent-wide economy, in which people, agricultural products, coal and minerals moved wherever someone wanted to send them and did so cheaply and quickly. A continent-wide culture in which mail and popular magazines and books that used to cost dollars per ounce and had taken seemingly forever to get from the east to the west coast, now cost pennies and got there in a few days. There's another factor here that I should, have, I should mention, and that's time. The railroads changed so much, and one of the things that they changed was time. Before the railroads, nobody carried a watch around. Nobody cared what time it was. And you want to know when it's high noon, you look up in the sky. And when the sun is straight overhead, it's high noon. Now, that's going to be different in Chicago than it's going to come later when you get out to Des Moines. And in Des Moines, it's going to come earlier than it's going to come in Omaha, and so on. But if you're going to have, it's only one track, remember, that they laid. If you're going to have trains going in both directions, and you don't have the same time in Cheyenne as you do in Omaha, they're going to cry. And so that's where standard time came from. The, the uh, um, railroads demanded standard time, and the Congress put in a standard time in 1879. And then we all suddenly became obsessed with time, as we still are. Time's up. Time's wasting. The train is leaving the station, and so on. None of this might have happened if different choices had been made by any of the foregoing groups and individuals. But a choice made is made. It cannot be changed. Things happened as they happened. 
It's possible to imagine all kinds of different routes across the continent, or a better way for the government to help private industry, or maybe to have the government build and own it. But those things didn't happen. And what did take place is grand. So we admire those who did it, for what they were and what they accomplished, and how much each of us owes them. And what storytelling, and thanks again to the Stephen Ambrose estate for allowing us to use his voice. We're deeply appreciative, as I'm sure you are, the listening audience. And by the way, nothing like it in the world. The Men Who Built the Transcontinental Railroad is a terrific read here on Our American Stories. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.